mindfulness mode. Laugh. It is so important to everything you do. Hey, Mindful Tribe, we've talked about business before. We've talked about entrepreneurs. We've talked about building businesses, all using mindfulness and how mindfulness can play a role in that. And today I'm with the guy who has truly done this from a pretty young age, and he introduces mindfulness into so much of what he does. I think it's pretty exciting to be here with uh, Jason Azevedo. Jason, are you in mindfulness mode today? I am. I'm uh, very excited and really looking forward to sitting and talking, kind of going over stories of, of how this is intertwined over the years. Yeah, so Jason, you started your first company when you were 15 years old and you were just with $600, you started this company and I'm really interested in talking about that. And before we do though, I wanna ask you about mindfulness and what it means to you in your life. So really, and thank you, Bruce, for asking that, really what it comes down to is understanding that whatever cards you have at this moment in time is the cards you play. And every, that every person around you is also doing that same thing. Don't worry about how it used to be, how, where, where you're necessarily going tomorrow, but really how do you not take, not take anything beyond, hey, here's the, the hand of cards I've got. Um, and really kind of digging within yourself and and then also especially in a business setting empowering everyone around you to succeed to succeed with them and so how do you do that how do you cause people to feel empowered so there's a couple ways um so my my company uh right now mrca we're doing it at an extreme level um and first it starts by connecting with people you've got to first you got to know who yourself are if I look at my, all of my leadership team, they all know who they are and we know who each other are. And we spend a lot of time understanding that we are not the same people in any way, shape or form. We know where each other's flaws are. We know where our strong points are and really making sure that when we work together, we are using each other to balance ourselves. But take like our employees. We've made a decision with our uh, private equity firm that at year five, between five, five and seven, we, we expect, we're actually going to transfer 100% of the ownership to the employees. You wanna make someone feel empowered, really give them the power. And that, that, that was a commitment that we made because it, it makes great fiscal sense, but more importantly, it makes really good sense for the business. Everybody is now headed towards ownership, towards a future, and that makes them part of the, the entire moment the other part of it that's really cool is all of those people are part of communities themselves so when they feel empowered that hey this business is important to my local community they they can go to their friends and go hey i'm going to have a a portion of making the the, sure this community stays stable and that that just it, it it exponentially grows just knowing hey here's where we're at here's where we're going and we're all doing it together really changes that whole perspective. So do you find that that helps you keep your employees a lot more easily oh, than otherwise? Most certainly. Um, and then frankly, because people know where this is going and it really is functioning as a team. And I mean, a lot of people say they're as a team, but they're not really doing the work to be a team. Um, it's my, one of my favorites is everyone's, oh, we're a family company. Well, families argue, families, 
uh, they, they disagree. They some of the loudest, most uh, explosive discussions I've ever had have been with my family. But what they forget is that family has a uh, family in the, the sense that people talk about it have each other's back even when they're arguing like that. So what happens when your company is in that situation and people truly feel like they're fulfilled and that they're growing, they will find people within the organization that shouldn't be there. And so we keep a lot of people, but there's also some people that don't fit the mold. And the the, the company itself will kind of go, hey, I either learn to work with us and be friends or you're, you're going to go. And 99% of the time, we, we work people into the mix and they, they over time kind of drop the preconceived notions of business versus versus employees. But that takes time. And once they're in our system, then people just fall in love with it because it's just the way we function. Jason, what was your first company back when you were 15 years old? What were you, what were you manufacturing? So when we were 15, we... Uh, we started a t-shirt printing company of all things. And that turned into a clothing manufacturer um, doing other people and very large um, multi-billion dollar corporations and the clothing for them. Um, and we, it, it's an interesting story because it's intertwined with, we started in February of 2007. And here comes end of 2007, early 2008. And my father had worked in a factory his whole life. And he had told us, do not, do not get into the factory business. Don't don't get into manufacturing. Don't do that under any circumstance. And we watched him over a period of seven, six, seven years get laid off seven or eight times. And ownership changing hands, and and really what that does to a family when the one of the the earners is getting laid off and the company's bouncing them back and forth with no regard for for the employees. And mind you, this is this plant that he worked in was the most profitable plant in the United States, but they for for that company. But what happened was they had created such a toxic environment between the two between management and the employees that it was also the most unmanageable plant. So here we are starting a T-shirt printing company with these these visions of becoming a manufacturing company, but intertwined immediately is we need to make sure that those relationships with the employees and with everybody are incredibly strong because we refuse to do to our people what that that company had done to our father. So we it, the two intertwined very interestingly because of the, that time in history. So Jason, as you look back over the, the work you've done as an adult, what is the one thing that has been the biggest challenge for you to move through? <laughs> understanding your own personal faults um, and then and then finding whether it's a way to correct them and sometimes you I've got things that I've actually told my partners I'm working on fixing this and they're like no no we love that about you yes mm -hmm. but I'm like oh but it causes problems and I'll give you an example I, I am super super uh, I, I have super difficult tension issues my mind bounces like crazy and I'll, we'll get super passionate and talking about things moving. And my partners, I, I was like, I'm going to work on this and we'll get the organization together. And he goes, no, we got you on that. We like that bounce. So, and that's how a lot of our, our energy and fluidity comes together. So really finding those kind of flaws, errors, holes, and then marrying them up with 
people or tools to fill them. And then just getting that cycle down was really important in my career and, and in our businesses because no longer was it I'm trying to do everything and be everything to everyone. It's I'm going to be what I need to be within the organization. That's, that makes sense. That's interesting. I'm uh, fascinated to know what kind of mindfulness things you do in your life. Do you meditate? How do you stay focused? So I do movement movement meditation. Um, I like I said, I've, I've got a ton of energy all the time, and a very my attention gets pulled. Um, but what I learned for myself was the best was to do things that I can shut my brain off while I'm doing, and that I just kind of go into a flow with. Um, I, I really love riding horses. Uh, I've got that. I, I do a lot of woodwork um, stuff that doesn't really have an end goal. It's just a you're out doing it. You kind of get lost in the flow. Um, people see this when they uh, a lot of people when they go for a drive. You completely forget the whole drive. You you are completely in a different place. I do that largely with horses or with with working on my ranch or just getting out and being in nature, just completely emptying the mind so it can run wherever it wants. Right. What do you see in horses? Like when you, when you spend time with a horse, do you feel more connected to the universe or something like that? There's a couple things with, with horses. Um, first off, with a horse, you're not in charge. He's 1,500 pounds of sheer muscle. You are not in charge. You've got heavy influence but there's this special piece it's a, i mean you can relate it to life where you're not in charge you can influence it but you're when you're out there the two of you have to work together um so it's just the discussion of hey i'm gonna do this i'm gonna push here actually um i had a, a horse this morning first time i've ever ridden him we just rescued him about a month and a half ago and it was so interesting because we don't know each other at all yet so I, I kind of like trying some hip shifting and he's responding and, and you're sitting there and it's just a, you've got influence, but no control. And, and that, that is what's super special about it is you kind of have to just give into this giant forceful me, uh, organism that is sitting underneath you. Yeah, that must be uh, quite an experience, especially with a horse yeah. that, that, like you said, is not trained and doesn't have that experience with humans. Yeah. And, and this, this one is even trained, but he was trained by somebody who's drastically different than I am. Oh. Um, he, he was, tra he was trained by a rodeo rider and I don't, I'm not a rodeo rider. So he's yeah. an incredibly well-trained horse. Okay. Um, but it's different that he, he, he wants to do certain things and, and you got to figure out, Hey, where, where is that line that we balance with each other? And then, month or two from now i'll be able to fall asleep on him and he'll take me wherever i was wanting to go and then we'll be back so it, it, but it's really that same thing of hey i'm not fully in charge here i am I, it's about getting that 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 influence in the right way that's not overbearing and people will work with it very interesting jason how many companies have you started <laughs> probably about eight or nine um okay. a lot of uh, there's been a lot of companies that are companies within companies are doing business with each other and so that it, it's complex um but at, at least at least eight um and we do everything from and uh 
injection molding to um, the sheet metal to packaging to children's toys to the control panels for nuclear reactors to I mean you you name it we've we've kind of played with it uh, and worked in that space but now what we've actually switched to and we've and we, we started switching to this about eight years ago but we're now it's our primary focus for the last two years we buy legacy U.S. manufacturing companies. These are great, great companies that are profitable. Um, we do it through a private equity fund of ours. And we get to go in and add that influence to the company of taking them from kind of what oftentimes is an old old school mentality of a manufacturing environment that's aggressive and it, the, the, it's this intense, dangerous environment. And we, we revitalize them into these team set environments. And frankly, we've seen significant increases in profitability. We've seen they're they're easier to manage they're more fun to manage so and, and they they end up being more profitable so we go by these legacy companies that have all the bones and they're there but they need that next set of energy put into it so for any of our listeners that don't really know what a legacy company is tell us so think of a second third generation company um and especially in the manufacturing space and that's why it's special in the american manufacturing space Two, three generations ago, families or single individuals would start these manufacturing companies. And then at that, the next generation comes up. And at that time, it was still in vogue to say, hey, go run a manufacturing company or go be uh, go uh, work in a factory or manufacturing plant or anything like that. So the next generation would pick up the company and take it. Well, in the last 20, 30 years, everybody has changed their what they've been saying. Now it's, oh, don't get, work in a factory. Don't work in manufacturing. It's a bad, bad industry. All of those are incorrect. They were correct maybe 30 years ago, but there is not a, a huge amount of people aspiring to be in that industry. So these companies, for all intents and purposes, that they, they don't have locked, these set up massive buyers. So we step in and we buy these companies. We preserve that, that history, that legacy, that oftentimes the name on the building is the founder's last name so it means a lot to them um so they, there's a there's a huge legacy that's with built with these uh, one group we're looking at or that we're in acquisition right now for they employ more people than the population of the town that they're in wow the, so the the, com the company is more than a company it's a legacy it's i mean the people will fight for this company and they'll die for it because it is part of the fabric of their entire community. So it's much more than just a business. And the cool thing is because you have all that built-in pride and, and history, when we work with people to really increase their, their care and their love for the business, it's already there. You just have to bring more out of them. Very interesting. I live in Canada and near us we have a couple of auto manufacturing plants and they're putting out a lot of vehicles which are just parked in massive fields because they don't have the chips to put into yeah. those vehicles to make them operatable. So how can we move past this so that in North America we can actually manufacture everything we need for some of these things like our vehicles and and certainly other things as well? The wheels are already in motion. Um, so the first and most important thing is to break 
old mentalities. Um, I hear it all the time. Oh, it's not uh, financially viable to produce in the or uh, in the U.S. or North America for that matter. And the, the it's just it's a fallacy. There, there's no other way to put it. And what I always tell people is, if you don't believe me, and I know it's a hard thing to swallow that hey, we can build it cheaper here. The most well-known, largest contract manufacturer in China, which is Foxconn, is building a plant in Wisconsin in the United States. They, oh, really? the, they've, yeah, they've done the math. They, they know they can, it, it, it can be done here. So we just have to break our mindset of what was true 20 years ago in this space is very different than what it is now. So people are coming in. They're, they're doing it. I mean, Intel's building a chip plant in the U.S. We're, we're out with MRCA buying a bunch of these companies, bolting them together. All of our prospects right now show possibilities of two, uh, two, two times, three times growth in the first 18 months we have them. So it's, it's happening. It, it's, it, uh, we all wish it would happen faster, um, but it, mm-hmm. it, it's already in motion. I, I think in the last about five years, we've learned that it is better to produce most items on a, a, onshore. And so they're, they're changing that. Um, like you brought up the ship, uh, the chips issue. I know, uh, I know of an um, uh, American manufacturer, very large company, um, they make very uh, one of the products they make is a very very large engine, and they actually had to call and ask to not to buy chips out of regular retail products from another major uh, technology company because they were just like oh, we can't get them anywhere else and we need to get these engines moving. So people are getting creative. It, it, you're starting to see the pressure pull off of it. But the cool thing is, I think a lot of people under, finally understood that. These manufacturing plants and manufacturing nowadays isn't the Charles Dickens dirt floor, tiny Tim goes home hoping to God he has enough money to eat. That's not the case anymore. These are, these are great jobs that, that can be done in the U.S. Labor isn't as big of a deal anymore because automation is coming in assisting with the productivity. Um, automation is not taking people's jobs. It's giving them jobs. It's it, because we've got automation now, we can do things more effectively in the U.S. And frankly, we're when you look at the consumption rates of the of the U.S. or of the world for that matter, we're consuming four times as much as we were ten years ago. So that means that manufacturing has to output four times as much. You can't just do it with straight labor like we always have. So mm-hmm. really, once people start understanding that it's a whole different game than it was 20 years ago. Uh, I mean, the base skills are the same, but it's a different world. Once they understand that, then we start seeing everything come back um, and, and, and expand to bigger than it's ever been because it's just a different world. And I get the feeling that a lot of people don't believe what you're saying. A lot of people do not believe that automation is not taking jobs. People people look at all these different aspects of their life and they see certain situations and they think, oh, there, that's an example of jobs that have been taken. And yet we are short of labor, right? We are, yeah. we are experiencing a labor shortage. Are you in your area? Every, I mean, I, I go all over the United States. I, literally will be in four times or three, three, four time zones in a day kind of stuff um, because we go see a lot of plants. Sure. Um, 
what ends up happening, everyone's having a labor shortage. And part of the bit is because so much stuff is coming back. But what people have to remember is automation doesn't take jobs. It displaces jobs. Mm -hmm. So it, 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 there's a friction when anything comes in. Hey, you, the job may not be anymore that you're welding, but you might be controlling a welding cell that's welding. And you, we got to remember we're consuming so much more. We cannot produce with, with the same tools we had. We have the exact same amount of resources, but we need four times as much production. We must assist the worker. So what is, a, what is automation? What, what, does, what does a good factory owner do right now? He goes, let's get all the dangerous, all the, um, all the health dangerous, all the physical dangerous, all of the grueling work. Let's have a machine do that. Let's have the human do the part that humans are absolutely amazing at. Thinking, looking at stuff, verifying it, talking to each other when uh, problem solving. That is what people are becoming. So when you go into a plant that initially um, is automating, I'll give you an example. One of our plants just put in a robotic welding system. And one of the welders was scared. Um, and I, I actually hadn't noticed it. My brother did. He goes, that, that employee is very nervous. And I'm like, why? Um, he goes, because he thinks that we're going to get rid of him uh, because this, this robot's going to take his job. And to me, it made total I knew the reality, and he didn't. And the reality was I was having this employee train to run a, a seven-figure machine. He just became more valuable to me than he ever was as a welder and we had to go explain that and go you have i'm giving you a skill set that makes you incredibly valuable and the more of these machines that come online the more people are going to need to know how to use them so no you had a you had a commoditized skill before you have a specialty now and once we were able to show him like that he's like oh I, okay, I get it now. I'm like, yeah. I was like, and I I would rather start with a welder to run a welding robot because when the product comes out of the machine, he's going to know, does it look like it's supposed to, where a normal person wouldn't because he's seen probably 100 miles of welds in his life. And once we were able to show, explain that and show it to him, the fear goes away because it's like, got it, it's different. But you, uh, you don't see any farmer out right now going, oh, the ox got unemployed by the tractor. No, he's, he's, he's very happy to have his tractor. So yeah, th that's, that's true. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a great story. That really is. Yeah, Jason, I want to ask you about uh, a topic of bullying because I've worked in the field of bullying prevention for a long time. And I wonder, do you have a story about bullying either in your own life? Maybe you were bullied. Maybe you've been bullied as an adult in the work you do or a story where mindfulness would have made a difference with one of these experiences. Totally. Um, so I'll take a couple, about five, six years back. Um, I had a, one of our companies, we had a supervisor, um, and th this supervisor got results, um, very, very effectively got results. Um, they, they put up some of the best numbers in the company. Um, and 
but it was weird. You walk anywhere in our buildings and people are smiling, talking, joking around and all that stuff. You go into their sector and that wasn't the case. So we started looking into it and understanding that while they were getting results, they were doing it by sheerly bullying their employees. I mean, they yeah. were, it was, if you didn't hit your numbers, you're, you're a piece of this to that. Like it was just, it was just derogatory and was bad. And we took this person aside and said, Hey, I need you to really think about what you're doing. And they're like, well, what, what I gotta, I gotta be forceful on everybody. I gotta do this. I'm like, think about what you're doing. And well, what, 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 what do you mean? I'm like, okay, so you've got, you've got a Toyota Camry at home, right? I was, yeah. So I can take your Toyota Camry. I can go get some jet fuel. I'm going to pour it in there. And I'm going to just put it into drive and I'm going to floor the gas. What's going to happen to that engine? He goes, well, you do that. You can blow the engine. I'm like, okay, what are you doing to your people? You're going in and you are, you're, yes, you're getting the result, but you are beating the living daylights out of them and you're going to break them. And you, and you can start seeing the, 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 the brakes coming. And you, he had a higher turnover. People are always looking to like get to another sector. And all stuff. So we took him aside to really think about like the long-term result of what your short-term thinking is doing. And it was interesting because that employee actually turned around. And now is one of the, it's all about, hey, I know I, I want to help everybody. Like, how do I get in there? But it, it took really going into a mindful space of understand that it can't be it can't be done just like that. And we use a lot of uh, metaphors, a lot of analogies because people have trouble seeing it in themselves. So if you can use an ox and a tractor, ain't nobody feeling like they're an ox today. So really we, we try to work on that. And, and I'm sure there've been plenty of times I've, I've fallen into that trap because you do sometimes get blinders on and have to go, no, what is this really about? Take the fear away, take it. What, do, what can we do today to fix the problem? And there, you, you fall in and out of traps like that on a regular basis. That's a great story. That is a terrific story, especially the fact that he came around and he changed yeah. and he became one of your better employees. That's fantastic. Yeah, it, and it's always cool when you can do that. I, the, the one thing I hate when people, when they find something like that, they go, oh, this person needs to be fired. I'm like, well, then aren't you just basically bullying the person for bullying other people? Yeah, <laughs> <I'm> exactly. Like, <laughs> isn't, yeah. isn't this basically exactly what you're trying to stop? <laughs> so, like, it's like, no, go try to work with the person. And sometimes you get people that don't want to work with you, and it is what it is. But yeah. we really try to go, hey, look at what you're doing. Let's go go through a minute to think to yourself about what it is. Would you want to feel that? And 99% of the time, once people start thinking that way, they go, Oh, I don't want to do that ever again to anybody. Mindful Tribe, I want to tell you that Jason's website, mrca.net, that's his website. You can check it out. And uh, Jason, as we move on in the interview, I want to ask you five quick answer questions. So just 30 second answers are perfect. The first one is this. Who is one person who has had an influence on you in your life that has helped you to have more mindfulness? one of my business partners has been an absolute inspiration to just kind of 
step back and think about the situation where we're at. Um, there, there, there was a singular event that he he snapped me out of a, a spiral I was in that completely changed my my future. Wow, that's awesome. Let's talk about emotions. How have your emotions changed or how you deal with your emotions as a result of mindfulness? I've never been a big yeller, but I used to get very, very upset when things weren't right. Mm -hmm. um, and we, my brother and I used to get in large arguments within the organization. And we finally started switching going, wait, every time I'm upset something happened, I'm the leader. What did I do to cause this? And that changed how our decision-making happened. And it removed the emotional aspect because we weren't mad at anybody else. We just want to fix what we did. Very interesting. Let's talk about breathing. Sometimes breathing can really make a big difference uh, when it's applied to mindfulness. Is breathing something that plays a big role in your life? It is. Um, I also did breath work uh, for the first time two years ago, an mm -hmm. actual breath work session. It was the biggest game changer mentally for business I've ever done. It, it, it actually changed how I lived a chunk of my life um, because for once you're just sitting there going, wait, here's what I want. So I, I live out in the country and one of the most important things to me is going and taking a walk and just breathing as deep as I can to just mm -hmm. kind of let things move through you. Yeah, very good. Could you recommend a book that maybe could help our listeners become a little bit more mindful or more focused? So it, it's not a traditional mindfulness book, but Ray Dalio's Principles. Um, it is built on his career being one of the most mindful executives ever, a very, very uh, meditation-focused um, individual. What he, ha what he has outlined, the principles by which to function and live that he runs within his organization are core principles we use to understand ourselves and where we're at and what we're thinking. Awesome. I'll put that in our show notes at mindfulnessmode.com. And Jason, my last question is about an app. Are there any apps that you use to help you be calm or focused or grounded? So I uh, picked up the Aura Ring about, a, uh, about six months ago and mm -hmm. absolutely fell in love with it because I can see what all sorts of different inputs are doing to me at, on a sheer metrics uh, level. So whether it be heart rate, um, sleep patterns, temperature. So that is my favorite app to give me a very clear response to this is going on in the world. Here's what it did to me physically and, and mentally and, and where, what I was feeling at that time. Very cool. Jason, as we wrap up the interview, do you have any final words of advice for our listeners? Maybe somebody's out there, they want to kind of get ahead a little bit. They want to become more focused, more grounded, more like you are, and you're able to move forward. What advice would you give them? Don't take anything too seriously. I, I've, the, the most wealthy people I've known, the most successful, the most ever, I've got a very, very fortunate friend group. And I will tell you, if we make it, more than 30 minutes without laughing and giggling, even in the hardest situations on earth, like talking about huge financial risks and whatever it is. And we're, there's jokes being cut the whole time. Breathe, Great. relax, laugh. It is so important to everything you do. 
Great advice. Jason, thanks so much for being on the show today. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, all the best to you. Bye now. Bye. Hey, Mindful Tribe, thanks for being here today. I have something for you, and it's regarding the 12 must-read mindfulness books. You know that I always ask guests if they recommend a mindfulness book, and so I put together a a digital copy. I put together a little ebook, really. It's a 14-page ebook, and it features the 12 must-read mindfulness books that are featured on the show. So it's the most recommended books on the Mindfulness Mode podcast. And these books have been recommended by a lot of different guests. And you can download a free copy of this ebook by simply going to mindfulnessmode.com slash top 12 books. So with that, take what we've learned today, Mindful Tribe, to reach new heights of calm, focus, and happiness. Stay in the mode.